Let's turn to our passage for today, which comes from Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. I mean, if you've been with us, we've been going through this series on the Gospel of Mark, where we're saying that, where we titled it, Leaving a Mark, um, because we're all aiming at something in our lives. There's a mark that we're trying to hit. And yet Jesus, when, he, when we look at the life of Jesus, he says, look at something different. There's something more than your jobs. There's something more than just your success. There's something more to this. And the more that we learn about Jesus' life from the past two Sundays, we see him extending his hands of grace to a Syrophoenician woman who didn't have any dealings with Jesus at all. We see also Jesus healing a deaf man. People who are outcasts. People who don't belong near Jesus' presence. And yet his response to both such people is to love them, to restore them, bring healing into their lives. We forget that Jesus is far more gracious than we are actually selfish. That's his heart towards us. And so now we're going to see that again as we turn to uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. If you are able, can you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples, disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in, a, in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us. As the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you uh, join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer? Father God, as we come before you, we simply ask that you would work in our hearts, in our lives, as we hear your words. May they not fall on deaf ears, but ears that have been opened up, that want more of your grace, that want more of what it really means to do life with you. And so God, draw near to us as we draw near to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I was having coffee with some of my friends and I bottle fed their baby. And it's been a long time since I've done this. And as I, as, as I was uh, bottle feeding this cute little baby, um, two thoughts came to mind. Thought number one is breast milk is amazing. I mean, it just takes that one little nutrient to sustain a baby's life. And even when the baby gets sick, it's, it's the cure as well. It's the antidote. It's amazing. A mother's milk. Thought number two that intruded in my mind is the fact that as I was looking at this child, I think I want another kid, you know? But also, I can't remember the newborn stage too well. It was crazy, you know? You're just trying to do what you can to get through and survive. My working theory is the only reason why uh, people have more than one kid is because they forget how hard it was to begin with. And this cute little face makes you forget all about that. But somehow we make it through. And the thing is, all of us, we might outgrow milk. But to grow in spiritual maturity, to grow in faith, you can never outgrow your need for God. He is your sustainer. And what sustains you ultimately satisfies you. And I'm just going to put a blanket statement out there. Whatever sustains you in this world, it just cannot satisfy. Because our hearts were meant for God. Let me break this down for you in three ways for us to consider. One is we need gentle reminders. Two, we need to re-examine our own hearts. And three, how can we restore our souls? How can we have our souls restored? Let's look at the first part, reminder. When you look and read chapter 8, you might think to yourselves, this sounds strangely familiar. That's because it is. It's exactly the same thing that Jesus performed, the same exact miracle back in chapter 6. And if you're, you're thinking like, if you're, you're going to plagiarize your own work, at least space this out a little bit so that people don't know what you're up to, right? I mean, these are the kind of schemes you pull off when you don't want to buy too many toys for your kids. You just hide one of their favorite ones for a really long time till they forget about it. And when your kids say they're bored, you pull out the old toy and say, I got something new for you. And the kids are excited and they say, oh, you're the best dad. Not the best, just on a budget, right? But there's no budgets for miracles. There's no budgets for miracles. Same exact miracle same exact scenario here a large crowd comes they hear jesus teach for a couple of days and then they get hungry there's nothing to eat so jesus tells his disciples verse 2 i have compassion on the crowd which is exactly the same thing you find here up here on chapter 6 verse 34 that jesus says i have compassion for this people and as as the disciples hear this, verse 4, they say, His disciples answered, How can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? Again, take for example here, desolate place. A location that they are very familiar with. If you look at the different verses in chapter 6, it's almost as if Jesus is prompting his disciples towards the right answer. Just turn to me. We've done this before. We've been here before. Turn to me. I'm the answer. I'm the solution. And they just go blank. They forget everything. 
I think more than anything, what this miracle reveals to us is how we can forget so easily about God. We have spiritual amnesia. We can remember our sports stats. We can remember how much is in our bank account. We can remember answers to board exams to get ourselves certified. But when it comes to God, oh, our memories are like a goldfish. We forget. And yet not much has changed. Because the same exact thing happened back in the Old Testament in Exodus 16. After the fact that Israel is liberated from Egypt and God freezes people, something that they've been longing for, something that they've been asking. And as soon as they start their wilderness journey, they grumble and they tell Moses, have you brought us out here to die? I mean, at least back in Egypt, when we were slaves, we had food to eat, we could eat meat, we had drinks that we could have. It must be better to be a slave. Man, how delusional is that kind of thinking? Why on earth would God save them from Egypt and just allow them to wither and die? I mean, think about this. Does any, uh, does any mother, after giving birth to their child, do they look at the child? Well, well, you've had a good life for nine months eating and just being in amniotic fluid and resting all the time. You can figure it out now. Now here's the world to you. Good luck. That doesn't happen. Doesn't make sense. How easily God's people forget that God is our sustainer past, present, and future, but our memories fail us. The disciples, they, the problem here is that they had a need. They were lacking. That's what caused the panic. There's no food. Today, the real problem is that we have too much. We got too much. So much so we either don't need God or God is just one of the many options in our lives to help us get by in life. Up there with Orange Theory Cycling, to our cryptocurrency accounts, to whatever leisurely activities we have, God is just one of the many options to get by. That's our problem, that's our struggle. We have too much. We love our options. Let me ask you this. Have any of you guys been invested in a relationship uh, or just imagine you being in one and you're the person that you're with, uh, if they still have their ex's phone number on their, uh, on their phone or they still hang out together, or they have inside jokes and laugh about it, how well does that relationship work out? How well do you think things will work out? Not good. But we love our options. We love our options. See here... What keeps our options open, I believe at the center of it all, is our work, our careers. That's what keeps our options open. So we invest a lot into it. There's this, uh, I think he's an economist or something. There's this man named John Maynard Keyes, and he predicted this. He predicted by 2030, our work week, the average work week, would only be 15 hours long. And you guys there yet? I thought so. 15 hours long. 
And his reasoning is because we're going to be so technically advanced by this time that it'll cut down all the mundane tasks that we have going on. It'll cut it all out, all the busy work, so we could just uh, re uh, rely on the, the, the essential work for our lives. Well, it's 2023 now, and I think he miscalculated by a lot, by a lot. And he admits this. And he says, uh, what's the problem? And he says this. He solves his own problem here. We're cursed with infinite desires, but there aren't enough resources to satisfy. Cursed with infinite desires, but there aren't enough resources to satisfy. No wonder so many people are exhausted and burned out. We're trying to constantly keep up with our desires, infinite ones. And it's a race that you can't win. It's a race that we're just hoping we don't pass out from. And yet, this, uh, and yet the thing is, only God is supposed to sustain you. Only God is supposed to satisfy you. That's the gracious reminder in this miracle. That God reminds us of himself so that we can re-examine. We can examine what's going on in our hearts. Which leads us to the second point here. That on the same day that Jesus feeds the thousands, the Pharisees, they meet Jesus and look what it says. It says, they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. They argued. It's not starting off with hello or welcome or Jesus, thank you for the miracle that you provided. It's so generous of you. It's they argued, give me a sign or we're not going to believe in you. And the thing about signs is they, they are miracles. There are miracles that attested to God being uh, God's presence with the people of God. And also uh, miracles indicated that God was working through legitimate prophets. And so asking for a sign wasn't necessarily wrong. It was for the fact that they tested Jesus. They were testing Jesus. Give us a sign or a miracle or we're not going to believe in you. And yet the irony of all this is that as we take a trip back to memory lane again, to Exodus, Exodus 16.4, God told Moses that when the people were grumbling, he told Moses, behold, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you. I'm going to shower you with bread. It was one of God's greatest signs or miracles that his presence truly was with his people. And for Jesus to perform this miracle and feeding the thousands, you just have to connect the dots here. That by this sign, Jesus is saying, I'm the same guy. I am God. I am your sustainer. But the Pharisees said, that's not good enough. Show us something more. And verse 12 says, Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And you know it's been a long day when Jesus sighs over you. I like to, um, I take turns picking up my child from school. Um, and anytime I'm picking him up, uh, him up by myself, I've been noticing a pattern. That every time I pick him up, uh, Miles tends to ask me, where's Amma? I thought it was strange. 
So I asked Kathy, you know, does he ever ask when you go to pick him up, where's Appa? And she said no. And I thought that was strange. But on the few occasions that we both go pick him up together, I realized the welcome that Kathy has for Miles is like so warm and gentle and tender. And she's super excited to see him, hugs him, kisses him, and, you know, uh, asks him how school was, wants to know everything about Rhesus and the kids that he played with and what he learned. And I remember this one conversation that Miles had with uh, Kathy and, and just saying, you know, I like sharing things with you, Abba, but when I share things with Appa, he, he doesn't look very excited. And I blame this as part of a symptom of being part of a culture that can be yelpable. You know what I mean? That my, my, my standards for everything has to be based on certain, uh, a certain scale. For example... On Yelp, the Pacific Ocean has a rating of three stars out of five, with such reviews as, oh, it's too salty and it tastes like, it feels like you're swimming in ramen. Or another person said, I wish there were heaters here and there are air bubbles to massage me. Even though, as the kids would say, they're all trolling, they still took time to rate something that should be unrateable. And yet, how often has that kind of mindset, uh, that kind of heart crept into our souls? How often do we look to our fridges or we are looking for a place to eat and we look at all this food and we just say, man, there's, there's nothing to eat. Or how often have we looked at our closets full of clothes and shoes and we say, man, I have, I have nothing to wear. Expectations. The thing is here, Jesus provides a miracle of all miracles, bread from heaven. And the underlying promise beneath all this is I'll bring you to the source. I'll bring you where they break this bread, to the new heavens and new earth. And you'll feast with me there. But just like the Pharisees, we think, no, 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 we want a better sign. Show me something better. Give me something better than this. It reminds me of a quote from Charles Spurgeon where he said this. He said, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated by the heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, your ordinary faces will do. There's that British humor for you, just a little cheeky. We need to re-examine our hearts because the only thing that sustains us is also the same thing that could satisfy us. And the cure to all this is how Jesus performs the miracle itself. Look at verse 6 up here. That as Jesus directed the crowds to sit, he took the seven loaves and what? Having given thanks. Look at what he does with the fish. The fish, he blessed them. He gives thanks. Just pause and let that sink in for you. The creator, sustainer, ruler of the entire universe gives thanks. What's there to be thankful for here? The disciples still don't understand you? There's thousands of people who are hangry. I'm pretty sure some of them were complaining. 
There's the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes, they're constantly trying to put you in jail. And yet, why can you give thanks? It makes no sense. Yet he gives thanks for a few loaves and a few fish. I went to, uh, there's this new coffee shop that opened up in Palo Alto. It's called Cloud Nine. It's beautiful aesthetics and the drinks are quite good. And I, I went there with, uh, uh, with my family and meeting up with a friend. And the thing about this location is it's sandwiched in between a golf course and a uh, private, like, it seems like a private airplane airport in Palo Alto. Two of the most bougiest things you can do with your life. No, no offense, my friends who still golf here. I still love you. But the thing is, it made me think about my other friend groups. How they talk to me about what it's the struggles of hanging out with their friends. How they're always doing expensive things together. Fine dining at Michelin star restaurants, bottle service at Vegas, uh, traveling to Europe almost, it seems like, every month. And they, they just bought a house, so they feel the pressure to buy one too. And they complain about how draining this is. And I suggest to them, why don't you just make new friends or something like that? And they look at me crazy. Here I am at Cloud Nine, this coffee shop with my family and you know, my kids are there. And there's the shop owner's kid that hangs out with us. I don't know him. We're meeting him for the first time. They're all quiet. There's a, a wasp that like hovers around our coffee and Miles grabs a cup and he catches it. And the other kid goes, whoa, you caught a bug. And, the, and then he says, Miles, come here. We're friends now. Here, I want you to introduce my other friend. He, you know, his arms around them. He says, Miles, meet so-and-so. There, you guys met. You guys are now friends. And he goes around making all these friends. And they play tag together. And they were just giggling and laughing. It's like pure joy, pure bliss. And how much did that all cost? One container cup. And the, you know, and the risk of getting bitten, eaten by a wasp. And yet it takes thousands of dollars for us just not to be disappointed. And the tale of two uh, friendship groups, which one's actually living abundantly? Which one's actually living abundantly here? I'm thinking that when Jesus gave thanks, it's, it's more than just about food. But also, he thinks he's giving thanks for the people he's about to break bread with. That he has something to share with them. But he also has something to share with us. To replenish. To restore our wearied souls. Which brings us to the last point here. See, as God promised back in the Exodus times, Old Testament, to, to bring bread down from heaven... He did it for 40 years. 40 years God provided bread for Israel as they wandered in the, uh, in the wilderness. They called this bread manna, which literally means, what is it? It's a fitting description for what grace is like. You know you need lots of it, but you can't pinpoint the times, the places, or when God was actually gracious to you. You just know it was there. And this is the whole irony of this miracle that everyone is satisfied with this meal. They even take leftovers back home and not a single soul thanks Jesus for the meal that they just had. They don't even realize it was a miracle. 
They don't know what happened. They don't know how it happened. All they know is they ate and they were satisfied. It's the story of our lives that God provides manna freshly baked for us every morning. The family and friends that surround us, the roof that's still over our heads, the job that you still have, the fact that you can still golf and not feel guilty about it, the, the fact that you can go on hikes, whatever it may be. For all the ways we can complain about how we can't see God in our lives, He sure does see us. He sure does see us. Practicing gratitude is another way of saying practicing our awareness of the grace that is freshly baked for you. My daughter, she started preschool on Wednesday, and I asked her how she was feeling, and she said, both excited and nervous. I was all excitement that day. And as we prepared to go drop her off, before uh, she went in the morning, um, uh, Kathy made her this bracelet to kind of encourage her, saying, oh, it's your first day. She made her this bracelet. And then my son, Miles, she bought uh, Millie this pushing cat squishy thing. I, I don't know. It's like a cat, and you could squish it. Terrible. I'll bring it to you sometime. <laughs> but that's what Miles got for her, to encourage her. And as we go to the preschool, we drop her off. Everything's all good. She says hi to the teachers. We feel good about it. And one kid starts to cry. Then another kid starts to cry. And then Millie clings onto mom and says, don't leave me. And she starts to cry. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you've done this before. It's going to be okay. Just let her go. It's your time now and my time too. And so we eventually managed to get her off. And uh, now I'm driving in the car. And now I, now my wife is crying in the car, thinking, did I make the right decision? I just sighed deeply, sighed deeply in spirit. Three hours pass and we come back. Teachers say, Millie did great. Millie did great. She comes out, Millie comes out, and she's holding on to her bracelet and a pushing cat doll. She said, these things help me get through the day. Mercy bread. There is that mercy bread. There is that manna. You don't really have to look that hard for it. The Pharisees, they, they wanted a sign from God. And Jesus says in verse 12, no sign will be given to this generation. And what this echoes is, is a curse placed on the wilderness generation back then. In Deuteronomy 32, 5 up here, you could see, a curse that will keep the first generation from entering into the promised land. They were cursed before they even received one. Because just like you and I, God can deliver all these things in our lives and we can say, just like the Pharisees, give me a better sign. Give me a better sign that you're in here with me. Make my retirement certain. Make my job security so secure. Make me happy. Give me a sign. We're cursed with our infinite desires, but not enough resources to uh, satisfy. And yet we're cursed for our wants, wanting to be more fulfilled, but only to turn up empty, which is a good description of what hell is. And yet God 
has not forgotten us. Jesus hasn't forgotten us. Jesus knows exactly what we need. He hungered and thirsted on the cross. Why? So that he can bake mercy bread for you. Jesus became emptied on the cross for all the wrath for what our sins actually righteously deserve. He emptied it all out so that he can provide for you a spot at his heavenly table that you can feast with him, banquet with him, where he saves the good wine till last. And he says, I've done it all for you. He can never forget you. He won't forget you. He can't forget you. You just have to remember to give thanks once in a while. Pray with me.